You're listening to Making Data Simple, where we make the world of data effortless, relevant, and yes, even fun. Welcome to Making Data Simple, although I think we may need to change the title at some point because we talk about everything around technology, um, whether it's augmented intelligence, whether it's design, as we're going to talk about today, uh, whether it's uh, Spark like we did last week, but uh, I guess data is still the center of the universe, so making data simple still applies. So thank you for listening. Uh, as always, please give us some feedback. Today I have Rena Ganga with me. She's a senior uh, user designer uh, and augmented reality designer at IBM. We got Jenna Goldberg, who's an augmented reality software designer at IBM, and we'll get into augmented reality. There's a lot of augmented reality going around here, but they both work in AR, uh, i.e., augmented reality. Both have strong backgrounds uh, and passion for user experience design, design thinking practices. And we're going to hear from them, but their their main focus is using AR to improve the way people act with or interact with with data, and uh, which is my favorite subject, of course. And ultimately, to make data explore, exploration the process more efficient, to help people present their findings in more intuitive and, and engaging ways. I'm going to stop there, <laughs> and I'm going to let you guys introduce yourself. Rena, why don't I let you introduce yourself first? Welcome to the show, guys. I appreciate it. Hey, Al. Yeah, thank you so much for having us on today. We're really excited to be here. Um, as you said, uh, Jenna and I both are designers working on an augmented reality product for IBM, and we focus particularly in data visualization. Nice. You, go ahead and give me, what's your background, if you, if you don't mind saying? And I'll give it to Jenna. Uh, sure. Um, I actually came from a background in journalism. So journalism, that's it. So I've got, I'll get back to that. All right, let's go, let's go to Jenna first. I'll come back to you because i got sure. some questions on that. Jenna, go ahead and introduce yourself if you would. Uh, hey, I'm Jenna. Rena basically introduced the product pretty well. But, um, yeah, I've been at IBM for about a year and a half now, including my internship. And my background is in uh, math and game development. Math and game development. So are you a game player? No, and that's why I didn't stick with game development. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> did you start out in game development? Uh, no, that was just kind of what I did as my minor in school, as my focus. And so I liked working with the game development software, but I just wanted to use it for something other than games. So that's why AR was really helpful and very similar. All right, very good, very good. Well, so I'll jump right in. I, I know a little bit more of your background. Rena, so I'm not going to let you get off that easy. I'm going to ask you a few questions. So I'm feeling pretty good today, I have to say. Spring is starting to come around the corner here. So, uh, uh, God, just getting a little heat feels good. Now, you guys, I think you're both in uh, San Francisco or you're, you're both in San Jose? Yeah, so we're both in the Bay Area. I'm actually based out of the San Jose office, and Jenna is in San Francisco. So you guys have had you got it's always sunny there, right? Well, I guess in the winter you're, you're, it's, it's drizzle most of the time, but then it's already sunny. It's been sunny for weeks, right? It's definitely warming up, at least on my end. I don't know. San Francisco is always a little chilly though. Right? I gotta say it's been raining here for about three months, but we have random sunny days. 
Yeah, I think that go, well, that goes back to what, what Mark Twain. I'm going to butcher this, but says the the, the coldest winter he ever had was experienced was the summer in San Francisco, something like that. <laughs> I've heard that. So, all right, Rena. So I'm not going to let you off that easy. All right. So, you know, I, I did I did look at your LinkedIn real quick, and one thing that caught my eye, and I thought we'd start with this, if you don't mind. Sure. As a formal, this is what you stated, as a former award-winning TV news reporter and online journalist, I've made a career out of answering the question, why? It's the same innate curiosity that drives my passion for good user experiences. I notice things, I'm bothered by things, I'm compelled to make them make them better. That's a pretty good opening. It went on, by the way. I'll stop there. But so my first question today for you is, um, what, what is making you say why today? I mean, what, what are you questioning right now? Yeah, you know, so I, I, that's a great question. Um, I think it's, it's interesting that you raise all of this because, um, you know, you talk about data on your podcast, but design is something a little bit different. And I think for those that aren't familiar with design, there's often this impression that it's perhaps a bit of an artistic endeavor, but design is really a job about problem solving, right? We're, we're solving a problem for a given user or an issue. And um, in our case, you know, we focus on augmented reality and we are looking at data visualizations and how can we make, um, you know, a job easier for, uh, in our case, data scientists and business executives, people that work with data closely and how can we um, improve their workflow. And so, yeah, you know, what you said about curiosity, you know, that's a huge driving force in journalism. And um, it is in design as well. You know, I think it's never just about what we're doing, but why we're doing it. You know, why does something matter to someone? Why is it relevant? Why are we tackling it now? So being curious and inquisitive is, uh, you know, really fundamental to the design process. You know, the, the interesting thing is, and this goes to where I was originally going to go in my questioning, at least to start, and then we'll I want to dive into AR. I want to design and uh, dive into visualization as well. But the interesting thing, you, you guys are both designers, um, have strong communications, of course. It's much better than mine, by the way. But um, the interesting thing I thought is, is I, I, I see it with a technical foundation. Like, Rena, when I was looking at uh, your background, um, I know you had you were in com communications, but you went to the University of Tech Technology in Sydney, and then Jenna, you have a BSA in Applied Mathematics. So I thought that was interesting. Let, let me I'm, I'll get with you and Jenna in just a second. But Rena, I know you so you went right into uh, communications. You went right into like you know some TV work, and like you said, you were award winning. What brings you here? What drew you here back into technology or into technology? and uh, where you are today in terms of designing and, and on the forefront of AR? Yeah, I mean, I think it really is just that passion for wanting to solve problems. And, you know, journalism was, was one medium for that, and technology is another medium for that. Um, you know, when you're a journalist, you spend a lot of time piecing together stories from different sources and you know all the people that you speak to will give you like a different piece of the truth and um, <laughs> through all of that you really learn how to sort of connect the dots right you see the bigger picture um, but at the same time you're always focusing on where is that hook where is that news angle and in design you know that really translates in terms of being able to sort of grasp a domain quickly and recognize, recognizing the pain points that a user is facing and 
um, identifying those ones that you can really have a huge impact upon with your designs. So, um, yeah, I'm always focused on the user. That's a big part of what we do. Did you did you seek out design though, or did it just um, fate kind of bring you into design in terms of your interest? I mean, how did you end up, uh, you know, from uh, you know being live on TV to uh, to being a designer and on stage with us at our Think Conference? Yeah, I suppose it's a little bit of fate. Um, I also did work in online journalism as well, and through that, I ended up wearing a lot of different hats. You know, in terms of content creation, but then also user research and design and, um, you know, various different aspects related to uh, web design. And so I started developing an interest in different pieces of that process and realized that this was something I was really passionate about. So I, I followed that. Nice. Look, I'm sure you're very, you're much smarter than me, but there's one thing you got that I absolutely don't have. You've got that Australian accent. That's what I mean. I, I, <laughs> nobody wants to hear a Midwest accent. You know what I'm saying? Everybody likes Australia, UK, whatever. I just, I'm, and here I am doing a podcast. There's nothing wrong with me. Hey, Jenna, on your side, I mean, did you know you were always going to go into technology? Because you did have a BSA in, in applied mathematics. But where, where, you know, what brings you here? Um, yeah, I guess the only reason I was a math major is because that was just, what I knew I was good at in high school, uh, and as it got harder, it wasn't as fun, and I, I was missing that creative side of myself. I found design eventually uh, after visiting IBM my, during college, and I just felt like it was a really good combination of creativity and problem solving. So that's kind of when I started doing my minor, which was the digital arts and media and that kind of brought the two together, and the more I grew in that, the more I learned that math and design actually go together pretty well. So. well the, the digital arts and media, I get, and that really aligns with design, but i got to believe, I don't want to put answers in your mouth, but the applied mathematics really brings it home, particularly in the business that you're in today. Do you agree, or do you say, ah, it's, it's a nice <laughs> ad, but it's, it's not, uh, it, it's not uh, I don't know what I want to say, that it's not a key in, in the, the business. i got to believe it is. Yeah, I've, I've thought about that a lot because in a lot of ways it's not a direct application, like I'm not using all these equations that I learned, but I would say that it definitely taught me that every problem has multiple solutions or multiple ways to reach the same, there are multiple ways to reach the same solution. So it just kind of taught me how to consider multiple factors at once and push through a problem even when everything kind of feels like a mess. And I definitely say that a lot of people think math is an individual study, but I learned throughout college how important it is to collaborate and see things from different perspectives, and I think that's something I use every day in design. So when I went through electrical engineering, obviously it has a lot of math, and the oh. one thing I've often said is it teaches you how to, kind of teaches you how to think or problem solve. Yeah. And look at things in different ways, and I got to believe you're doing that on a daily basis. I, I got to believe that, too. <laughs> <laughs> so I put an enormous pressure on design or importance on design, as it should. And as I hold responsibility for development, that means, you know, I hold responsibility for data and AI. So we have a lot in common in terms of common interest. I, I, I will say is I work with my design friends. We sometimes have a love-hate relationship. I love you guys, but we're always going back and forth in terms of trying to make the product usability, consumability, reliability, everything great. And that's often a, a tug of war 
but I wanted to open that up and say, why do you think design is so important? And, um, you know, I'd like you to talk a little bit about your day as a designer. I mean, what are your mission objectives on a regular basis? Yeah, I mean, design is really critical because at the end of the day, if you create a product and it doesn't solve a problem for the user or it doesn't enhance the way they do their job, they're either not going to use it or they're going to sort of have to force their way through using it if it's the only tool that's available to them. So really, we play an important role in facilitating the interaction between um, the actual tool that they're using and the human that's on the other side of that tool. And, you know, I guess it's sort of related a little bit to, to what we do, um, you know, with data visualization, there's always um, a balance that we have to find between giving our users a lot of control with the tool that they have versus, say, overwhelming them with a lot of different options. Um, you know, in our particular case, for instance, our end user is a data scientist or a business analyst. So we have a very sophisticated end user. And this is someone that needs a really high degree of control over their tools. Um, but at the same time, as designers, we play an important job in thinking about how do we nudge that user towards making sort of the right choices when they're working with their tool to end up with that optimal visualization for their needs. Nice. Anything to add from that standpoint, Jenna? I think Rena put it really well. I think design is a lot about um, making it an actual enjoyable experience for them to use versus something that they have to use. So I think you guys are spot on. Not that I'm just, um, you know, Homer here since I have you on my podcast, but I can tell you the, <laughs> the reason that I highly value design. One is, is I'm a huge fan of the design thinking process. Um, you know, I'm the kind of guy, I think, because, you know, I am that engineering background. I do a lot of mind maps and stuff like that. Design thinking process helps a lot. But where it helps from my standpoint or where I really value design is that it's looking at client value versus product functionality, if you will. And if you know what I mean by that, it's like a lot of times I'll talk with offering management, I'll talk to developers, whatever, and I'll ask them about, like, our, by example, our, our OpenScale product. Uh, and they'll, they'll talk to, well, it does explainability. It, 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 it manages uh, models and, and essentially AI. And, but they're describing what it does versus the client value in terms of, you know, the client value or the, the um, uh, what did I want to say, in, in, in terms of like, you know, rooting out bias and, and how prevalent bias is in the system, how that impacts the bottom line and how, how that can help you drive better models, hence better revenue, et cetera. It's kind of like, I don't know, this is probably a terrible analogy, but it's like your backup camera in your car. Uh, when you, if you talk about it, say, hey, these backup cameras are pretty cool, so you can see behind you, look at what it does, it can zoom in, it can zoom out, it can warn you. And then, you know, most people are intrigued with it. They say, oh, that's pretty cool. You say, hey, you want to pay more for it? No, I'm fine. I can back up by myself. But then when you go into it and say, yep, yeah, if you look at it and you look at how many, what the, the statistics are of people backing into other people and causing wrecks and the, the, the impact or the, the decrease in your insurance policy if you have that camera, all of a sudden it becomes a must-have. I don't know if that's, that's probably, I, try, I probably butchered that as well, but I really see design 
you know, really focused in, in helping a very technical, technical environment orientate itself towards client value. You see it the same way, or do, is there anything in that diatribe that I just gave that you do challenge? Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I think design definitely plays that role of advocating on the behalf of the user. You know, it's easy, um, you know, when you're in a business environment to get lost in sort of what's going to generate revenue, what, um, you know, where can we make money, where's the next big thing. But you also have to focus um, at the end of the day on what is the user struggling with, what is going to help them, what are they you know, saying they need, or maybe they don't even know what they need, but it's your job to sort of um, help figure that out and help figure out how you can create a product that really um, solves a problem for somebody. Because if you're not doing that, then, I mean, do you really have a useful product? Yeah, we're, we're t- we we a lot of technical folks that do some great things, but uh, sometimes they get lost in their own, uh, <laughs> in their own ability, if you will. So um, I think you guys perform a very important function. But let's talk about augmented reality. That is where your focus is today. Why is that your focus? Is, is again, you, luck just landed you here? Or did, were you directed here uh, by your own um, uh, passions? I mean, what, wh- why augmented reality? You want to take that, Jenna? Personally, what got me into it was uh, the software that we use in augmented reality is the same as gaming software. So I was familiar with that and I had a short internship where I was using augmented reality to help build, uh, help people build custom homes. And I just thought it was so cool that you could uh, see this entire house that you created yourself on an iPad, you know, before making any decisions. So I, that's kind of how I got into it and I feel like AR sort of blurs the line between these devices and humans and it's just kind of helping us get in touch with that digital side that we really need to do our work but not taking us out of our environment and I think that's kind of what our product revolves around. So fair enough. What about you, um, uh, Rena, in terms of uh, what products are you working on that fit into the augmented reality space that, that we're describing today? Yeah, so the product that Jenna and I are both focused on at the moment is um, called IBM Immersive Data. And it's an AR visualization tool for data scientists and business executives to be able to explore data. Um, You know, I think data science, it's a really complex field, um, as you can imagine. And, you know, data exploration, it's a time-consuming process for data scientists. So we are really focused on how can we speed up that process. So um, with our product, a user can pick up a a phone or a tablet and they can um, launch a visualization into the the room that they're in, into their environment, and they can really step into their data. And through that experience, uh, we hope that they're able to really see patterns and relationships in the data much faster than they would otherwise be able to and really kind of drill in on that important information that's most meaningful and relevant to them. So what's the difference, Rena, between augmented reality and virtual reality? I mean, are they the same? Are they different? They are different. So virtual reality um, essentially puts you in a completely simulated environment. So you would have to put on a headset in order to experience it because it blocks out the world around you. 
Um, AR is different in that it enhances or augments, uh, as the name implies, the real world by adding in digital objects that you can interact with as if they were real. Um, and so, as I was saying, since AR is really blending the digital and real world, you can experience it either through a headset or through a phone or a tablet. So here's how I envision virtual reality. Um, one of these days, I'm going to have like 50-yard line seats at the Super Bowl, and, but I'm going to be sitting at home, and I'm going to look over, and there's going to be Jack Nicholson sitting right next to me. I'm going to say, what's up? You know, and, then, and then augmented reality is just the same thing, except now I've got my data. Got nobody to talk to there, but I can look at the data in unique and different ways, see it differently, and find insights that I wouldn't see before. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I, I think part of it is uh, looking at it at a, in a different perspective. You know, instead of being behind a computer screen, you are physically interacting with it, and so that just having that different perspective might allow you to see something that you wouldn't have seen otherwise. But I think the other half is really the time. Um, I think data scientists spend a lot of time trying to find these insights and with the ability to see it in 3D and interact with it the same way we interact with our everyday objects, that just makes everything more intuitive and leads you to these insights faster. I'm sure a demo <laughs> in putting that headset, so to speak, on is the best way to see the value here. But um, Rena, tell me, you know, can you walk me through it? Let's say I, I, I'm going into the 3D data visualization. What, what do I see? What do I get out of it? And what do I get out of it that I couldn't get from just traditional methods? Yeah. So, you know, I think there's a couple of things here to, to break this down a little bit. You know, I would say at its core, this is really about making 3D charts useful. You know, I would argue that 3D data visualizations are just fundamentally broken. You know, they're hard to use on a computer screen. Um, data points can be hidden behind other data points. They can be obscured. But it's really tricky and clunky to rotate a visualization on a computer screen to really get that full sense of the data. So a lot of people just end up avoiding 3D charts, right? Even though they want to visualize multiple dimensions in their data sets, they, um, they kind of find a way to bludgeon the data into two dimensions and end up using a bunch of 2D visualizations for their analysis. But we are really thinking about, you know, what if we can make 3D charts as easy and as useful as their 2D counterparts? And, you know, this is where AR comes in. It gives us that ability to take a type of data visualization that's generally avoided and really make it shine, you know, really make it a star. Um, and I know, you know, you're asking here about what can you do in AR in 3D that you can't do in 2D. And I think another fundamental thing that you can do is you can just see more information at once, right? So. If you think about data visualizations, the reality is that no single data visualization provides the entire truth. Um, there's always some level of data abstraction that takes place when you create a visualization. So if you're building a visualization, you keep information that's relevant to you in a particular context, and you eliminate information that doesn't matter to you. Um, essentially, you're making choices, right, about what to include and, and what to leave out. And, um, and you're right, Al, it's really tough to talk about visualizations without images. <laughs> it's a, a fundamentally visual medium. 
Um, so let me try to give you an example that, that hopefully our listeners can sort of picture in their minds. Okay, um, let's think about something really simple like a world map. So we've all seen a world map. Um, and in fact, we've probably seen many different kinds of world maps. And that's because uh, cartography has always had this challenge of how to present geographic information, right? And that's really because the world is a sphere and maps are flat. So um, what some maps do is, you know, they try to show fixed latitude and longitude lines. Um, but what ends up happening is the poles get stretched out. So countries that, um, you know, they're really small, but they're close to the North Pole or South Pole, like Greenland, end up looking huge on these maps. And regions close to the equator, like Africa, look much smaller than they really are. And then other people have tried to get around that issue um, and they create maps where they show all of the different land masses as the correct size relative to one another. But doing that means you end up distorting the shape of the countries. So what's interesting here is that both of those maps are technically correct. They're just different versions of the truth. And, you know, of course, which one you find useful depends on what your objective is, like what your goal is in looking at that map. But the point is there are always trade-offs when it comes to data visualization. But with 3D visualizations, with augmented reality, you have that ability to show more dimensions at once. You know, you can show a bigger piece of the truth. So, um, you know, with something like world map, you can really start to imagine how if that was in 3D, if that was in AR, you could represent it spherically, like a globe, like a physical object, and then you could really get a truer sense of the data. This is very good. Uh, thank you for that. So look, uh, where can people find more about what you guys are doing and working on if they want to contact you guys? Um, if they search IBM Immersive Data on YouTube, uh, they can see some videos about the work that we're doing. And I think that seeing some uh, visuals is the best way to illustrate exactly what we're working on. Definitely look up our videos online, and Rena and I are both on LinkedIn and Twitter, so people can always reach out there as well. So I think this is a, you know, again, when you're talking about virtual reality, whether you're talking about augmented reality, you almost got to experience it to see the value that you can get. And I can attest to, to both these experts that uh, there's a ton of videos out there that we've done on them on YouTube. Um, I know you guys often, or I know, Rena, you had some on your LinkedIn profile just as well. I think that's the best way if you're listening to this and you want to get a better understanding of exactly what we're talking about, go out there and, and have a quick look at it. If you guys are game, uh, I'd like to take 10 more minutes and have a little bit of a lightning round um, in terms of the day of the life of, of, of your, uh, <laughs> your business, et cetera. Are you, are you willing? That's sure. A more personal? Yeah. The, the, everybody likes this. Hey, I, Jenna, I saw on your profile that you like music. What's your favorite music? Oh, gosh. Um, I love R&B. R&B. Give me a song. Can uh, you give me a song? <laughs> like um, Drake and The Weeknd and Rihanna, Fiance. Those are my favorite artists. Nice. All right. I got it. I got it. I even know those songs, so that's a bonus. <laughs> Rena, what about you? Oh gosh, music! <laughs> yeah, you're not you're um, not a music fan. No music you for know, you. No, I'm so out of the loop these days. It's terrible. 
All right, then I got another question for you. What do you do for fun then? Um, you know, as far as hobbies, um, I I really enjoy board games. Uh, it sounds like a bit of a geeky thing to do, but I really got into all of those European strategy games. Um, I don't know if you know Settlers of Catan, but I'm a huge fan. Um, and then besides that, I just enjoy doing activities with my kids. You know, we're really lucky to live in the Bay Area and we get incredible weather here most of the year. So I like to just try to get outside with them as much as possible. So I'm ashamed to say I don't know that game. Was it Settlers of what? Settlers of Catan. I need to look this up. What's, what's, this, what's the strategy? I mean, what's the premise? Um, you're basically competing for resources. Uh, different kinds of land resources, and you have to strategize. I think one of the great things about a game like this is, you know, with something like Monopoly, you're sitting around for hours waiting to lose, essentially. Um, with <laughs> a game like Settlers, uh, it's there's a lot of strategy involved, and, you know, you can always come back from behind and, and overtake other people. So, yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. Nice. I'm going to have to investigate this. I've never looked at Monopoly that way either, but now that you it. <laughs> That is kind of the premise. What about you, Jenna? What do you do for fun? Uh, I love going on hikes and going to concerts and doing yoga. Doing yoga. Are you? Are, where are you originally from? I'm from Dallas, Texas. Dallas. Oh, that explains the Texas, the the the, the Longhorns, aren't they? Oh yeah, that was my. <laughs> and, and and where are you originally from, Rena? I'm originally from Sydney, Australia. Oh, wow. It's Sydney. I didn't know if it were in Australia. I've been there once. Beautiful place. But you left it, huh? You came to the States, huh? I know. I know. But the Bay Area reminds me a lot of home. So. Sounds good. So um, here's a question for you guys. And I'll start with you, Rena. What's, who's your role, mo- role model today? I mean, what is, um, you know, not, not related to you, uh, a role model that you could cite? I think that's a tough one. Um, I don't know that I have a particular role model. I think You know, I work with a lot of incredibly talented folks at IBM um, that, you know, I really admire and respect and learn so much from every day. So, you know, those are the people who I tend to look to. Um, I kind of find I'm often more influenced by um, my environment or by places. Um, You know, as I just mentioned, I'm from Australia and, you know, I've done a lot of traveling. So I often feel like those environments shape me and, and my approach to design and life in general uh, a lot more. So, yeah. That's fair. That's fair. Jenna, what about you? Role model you have? Um, sounds cliche, but I would have to say my dad because he just taught me everything I know about my work ethic and about um, pursuing something that you love and doing something that makes you feel good every day. He's 65 and he's still doing his job, so I want to be like that. What's he do for a living? He's a gum surgeon. Nice. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> nice. All right, very good. So um, what advice, you know, switching gears a little bit with, with you here, what advice would you give to another young lady that's considering technology or design? I would say that um, as much as it seems like Everyone knows exactly what they're doing. Um, Technology itself is a a huge mystery that people are just kind of plugging away at every day. So I feel like uh, for anyone that wants to pursue it but doesn't know if they're qualified, just put on a smile and act like you know (laughs) everything and do your best to find answers to everything. Fake it till you make it. I like it. Yes. (laughs) Very good. 
So, so Rena, uh, you mentioned you have children. How, how do you balance motherhood with all the uh, demands of tech and design? Uh, it's definitely a challenge. I, I think um, any parent would say the same thing. If, uh, you know, you have to wear a lot of different hats and juggle a lot of different balls. But, you know, it just comes down to being organized, being efficient. And ultimately, if you really enjoy what you do every day, I mean, Jenna talked about doing things that you're passionate about. And I think if you can come to work and enjoy what you do on a daily basis, it doesn't feel like work. You know, it it feels like this is my hobby, you know, this is my passion. And so um, I, I think that makes life a lot easier, right, when you enjoy what you do every day. Is there any piece of advice for those listening uh, or habit that you have or kind of, um, I don't know what this, I guess habit's the right word, what you do every day to be able to keep things in balance? Um, Well, I I like to try to take time for myself by reading. And I think that sort of, it works in two ways in the sense that it allows me to keep learning and keep growing, but then it's also just a great form of relaxation. So two birds with one stone. All right, so I got one more question for you, and then I'm going back to Jenna with the same question. So, Jenna, you get you get an advantage here because you can listen to the question. Um, so you say reading, and that's one thing I always uh, typically end with. Uh, and it's a two-part question, kind of. It's how do you learn? And if you are reading, which clearly you are, um, is there a favorite leadership book or a book that you would recommend uh, to the audience? Um, yeah, so as far as books, Let's see. I mean, I think for those who are listening that maybe don't know a lot about design and that's something that they're interested in, um, I would recommend The Design of Everyday Things by Don Norman. You know, this is a book that uh, is really a classic in the design field. Um, I think it was published almost 30 years ago. So really before all of the technology that we have today. But uh, the interesting thing is it's still relevant because, you know, the principles of good design haven't changed. And um, I think after reading that book, you you won't just like look at websites differently. You, you end up looking at the world around you differently. Um, and then I think um, another book, maybe for more of the data folk that are listening, um, that, uh, something I found really thought provoking was uh, Super Intelligence by uh, Nick Bostrom, who's actually a philosopher. And um, this is really interesting. It raises the question of what happens when we reach the point where artificial intelligence surpasses us and becomes smarter than humans. Um, and, you know, it really talks about the ethical dilemmas. And uh, as a designer, I found it really fascinating because it makes you think about the biases of AI and the motivations of the program and how we really need to think carefully and design with uh, purpose, with intention, in order to um, avoid some of those potentially devastating unintended consequences of, you know, AI that runs amok. Wow, nicely done. See, now I got two books, right, that I can read. Very good. How about you, Jenna? Um, I got one more for you. Uh, when I visited IBM my freshman year of college, I was told to read Change by Design by Tim Brown. And that really inspired me because it was just about how design can be infused into all aspects of life and business. And I learned a lot from that. All right, so that's great. So now we've got augmented um, uh, reality. We talked about design, and now I got actions to walk away with, and that's the uh, the books that you gave. So thank you guys so much for being with us today. I greatly appreciate it. I think the uh, listenership is going to get a ton of value from this. 
so we will put all this information, as always, in the show notes and where folks can find about you, find out what you're working on, solicit any information that they, they'd like. And uh, with that, thank you guys so much. I appreciate you guys for being here. Yeah, thanks so much for having us. Thank you. It was a great time. See you all later and talk to you next time on Making Data Simple. Thanks for listening to the Making Data Simple podcast, where we make data fun. Be sure to visit ibmbigdatahub.com forward slash podcasts to access the show notes and uncover even more great episodes. Remember, the views expressed here are those of the host and its guests and do not necessarily represent the views of IBM. Until next time, over and out. Oh,